Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, believe it by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Bozovich. And now, here's Jay. Hello. All right, we are we are live. Sorry for the delay, folks. A little technical difficulty on this end. And we are live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. Didn't get the intro music today and a few other things and had a few technical difficulties there. Uh, we apologize for that. But this is the Bose Nose Show, and I am your host, Jay Bozovich, West Lane County Commissioner here in beautiful Lane County, Oregon, uh, and it is the 75th anniversary of Pearl Harbor, and, you know, that's kind of a, a, a big day uh, as you think about uh, history and all that, and, you know, I've been fortunate that I've had uh, Lynn Davenport um, living with me for the past month or so, who is also a World War II veteran, uh, was not in the Navy or serving in Pearl Harbor or anything. He didn't actually get into the war until 1943 when he was drafted after graduating high school. Um, but, you know, it gives you that perspective on how important that that World War II was and, you know, makes you think about it. And, you know, in some ways, uh, you know, Pearl Harbor, you know, wasn't matched in an attack on American soil in number of deaths until September 11th, 2001. So think about that, you know, 75 years ago today was the largest single day attack against the U.S. until 9-11. You know, pretty sobering to think about that. And, you know, I heard somebody play some of the actual radio footage of them first announcing the attack and kind of that that sort of we're, we're trying to confirm and this sort of thing and uh, attack on Pearl Harbor and um, it was chilling to listen to this morning uh, as as a uh, KPNW the local AM 1120 station here was playing Bill London was playing that at six o'clock this morning as I was getting up uh, it was a pretty chilly chilling intro to a show so Pearl Harbor Day, and fittingly, we're going to talk about the governor's budget on Pearl Harbor Day because um, she kind of dropped a bomb on Oregon on December 1st, though, was when she turned her budget in. And uh, all that I can think of, it was, uh, you know, just like the Japanese sort of retaliating for the um, oil and steel tariffs and, and everything else that was going on economically against the uh, Japan because of their uh, military imperialism that they were they were doing in the Pacific. And Pearl Harbor was kind of an attack and retaliation of that. I feel like the governor's budget was the attack against the citizens of Oregon for not passing Measure 97. Um, you know, it, in my opinion, that budget lacked leadership and just seemed to be retaliatory uh, in all phases. Uh, A leader would have looked at that and said, okay, I have to uh, make an approximate 7% adjustment in my spending um, overall in the budget, you know, because they keep talking about the, you know, the shortfall of the budget and all that, the shortfall was based on the fact that it didn't grow fast enough to make up for the additional cost 
in the Affordable Care Act uh, subsidies going away and the PERS um, liability going up. You know, they still have more money this biennium than they had last biennium. And uh, they, you know, really only had to make about, you know, they told told the agencies, we're going to let you inflate your budget, you know, for inflation, and then you have to make a 10% cut off of that inflated amount. So the real cut they were asking agencies to make was 7%. And uh, it seems like in the $17 billion range of the state's budget, you'd be able to find 7% um, in waste and efficiency cuts or whatever else you want to look for to close that gap without having to threaten to um, cut back on services or close facilities or whatever else, you know, payments to other um, uh, partner government agencies uh, like counties and cities. Um, but what the governor chose to do was basically say, okay, departments, you give me a list of cuts. Of course, the departments hand her a list of cuts that are cuts that are obviously not palatable because they're they're, they're hoping that whatever cuts they hand out, um, the legislature go, oh my God, we can't do that. We'll have to find some money somewhere for that. Um, and it just it's not a way to lead. Um, you know, a leader uh, like we've done in Lane County when we were faced with a 20% across the board real dollar cut in 2011, we went from our previous budget was $600 million all funds to a $480 million all funds budget in 2011. And we managed to do that. Yes, we had to cut some services, but we protected the priority services as best we could. But we did a lot of that cut purely in changing how we did business and changing benefit costs and and changing how many managers we we employed, we cut office budgets, we cut um, travel budgets. We you know we went everywhere we could look to find cost savings before we said okay we're going to have to cut services to the citizens. I don't see where the state of Oregon has done any effort to look for cost savings first and service cuts second. Uh, in the governor's budget. I don't see where she's provided any leadership in that. I think back um, to the our, our much maligned uh, prior administrator, Leanne Richardson. Um, she looked for how we were going to deal with it in uh, expense control first. We went through a process called Revision um, Lane County um, and we went from 14 departments down to nine, ultimately to eight departments. So that was six department heads. Now you think about department head salaries that we eliminated and have continued to be without since then. You know, that's millions of dollars just in those positions that we saved. She also managed to take us from where we were managing almost 20 different health insurance plans for seven different bargaining units that we deal with in Lane County because we deal with everything from law enforcement unions to uh, nurses unions to uh, just the general ASME uh, for our general employees. Uh, we've got seven different bargaining units. And when I first took office and Leanne first became administrator, each one of those employee unions had two or three different health care plans to choose from. And they were all different from each other. So we were managing almost 20 different health insurance plans. Imagine our HR people trying to keep that straight. She managed to work with a couple of the employee unions that, that piloted this and then get the rest of them to agree to it, to two common health care plans for all of our employees. So you can imagine how many millions of dollars in just administrative costs, not to mention the healthcare plans were cost savings plans compared to what we used to have and negotiated that with seven different bargaining units and eventually got we got them all to agree. We did that before we started cutting, you know, services. So, you know, I have yet to hear where 
Governor Kate Brown said, okay, DEQ, um, ODOT, I want you guys to come and tell me how you're going to change your cost structures. How many managers and middle managers are you going to eliminate? What programs, you know, that, that are really not being effective can we cut back on? Um, you know, where in the benefit structure could we work with our employees to try and save costs at that end before we actually say, you know what, um, we're going to have to close a mental health hospital that we just opened 15 months ago that was replacing 150 beds that were in Portland and Pendleton that we had to close because we lost our lease in Portland and the Pendleton facility was so old that we were going to be sued if we kept patients there any longer because it wasn't meeting today's standards for care and it was a liability. Um, so this facility we just opened in Junction City a year and a half ago, actually we haven't even really opened all the beds there, so we haven't even replaced the 150 beds that we, we eliminated. Um, but we're going to close that facility because that's where we're going to cut our budget you know, and save $35 million uh, a year in operating costs out of our $17 billion budget um, like they couldn't have figured out something else. You know, it just um, astounds me that there's no one asking that question rather than, um, you know, saying that, you know, the university system wasn't happy because they actually got held harmless, but that, you know, in, in their view is a cut because um, their budget only grew by a couple million. It went from 600 and 60 million to like 662 million, you know, a biennium, uh, and uh, because it didn't grow uh, fast enough to cover the fact that the universities can't control their costs and they're going up about seven to ten percent a year, uh, employee-wise, um, you know, they claim that's a cut. You know, it just you know, we shouldn't be talking about whether universities are getting enough money. The question is, is where's the cost control? Where has the state government looked to control cost first before they um, get into cutting a state hospital out or the universities complaining about the fact that they actually are getting the same amount of money as they got last by any of I would love if Lane County had the same amount of money we got last budget year or the year before because we've been going down in real dollars because of the, the decreasing payments from the federal government as SRS was phased out. Um, so, you know, the state actually has more money this year than they have ever had for their budget in this biennium. Yet, all we can hear about is what they're going to cut it just it's aggravating to me as a local uh, elected official that's had to deal with a real decrease in general fund money and road fund money over the last six years every year i've had to make a budget and every year we've started you know looking further and further into the cracks of the sofa and and under the the rugs and cushions to save every penny we can uh to save services to our citizens and the state, the first place they go is after the services to the citizens. So you're listening to the Bose Nose Show. And as you can tell, I'm fired up about the state budget a little bit today on Pearl Harbor Day, but it is actually a free for all program today. So I'll talk about whatever you want to talk about if you'll just call us at 646-721-9887 and just press 1 and that lets Robin, uh, my producer slash call screener, uh, techie person extraordinaire, uh, know that you want to get in on the conversation and uh, we'll have a conversation about whatever you want to talk about. We can talk about uh, county courthouses and city halls downtown. We can talk about Tobacco 21. We can talk about the governor's budget. We can talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. and Trump's transition team and, you know, uh, Taiwan and, and global affairs. You know, it, it goes where you want to go. 
conversation-wise today. Again, that's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net or is it .com? Um, I think we – did we change that, Robin? No, it's still .net. .net? Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, – the, our um, – KRBN page it says .com, so we need to fix that. <laughs> Talk at krbnradio.net, and uh, you can reach us on Facebook uh, also uh, by you can PM our KRBN Radio um, page, or uh, you can actually message me because I'm on Facebook. If you just put Jay Bozovich into the into the uh, search on your Facebook, you'll find both uh, my personal Facebook page. If you want to look at poodle pictures. Or you can go to my West Lane Commissioner page if you want to find out what's going on in, what, in, in Lane County in general and, uh, and hear political stuff. Uh, both those pages are easy to find on Facebook. I'm easy to get a hold of. Uh, and I do this show once a week uh, and particularly like to do free-for-all shows because I really want to talk to you, uh, the citizens out there, about what's on your mind. So uh, feel free uh, to you know, give me a buzz. Uh, and let me know what's on your mind, and uh, we'll have a conversation. So I did mention uh, briefly uh, the courthouse issue, and it's it's pretty interesting. Uh, there are a couple things that were news this week. One was the fact that the judge in Coos County chose not to make a decision about whether or not um, which deed actually is the correct deed for the the uh, lot what they what's known as the butterfly lot here in Eugene where the courthouse uh, was pro- was projected to be built and whether or not that could be swapped and used for city hall instead because one of the two deeds uh, that was recorded for that land in fact the one that was recorded second and was recorded by an error we we believe um, had some restrictions about it could only be for county use versus municipal use um, and specifically for the county court. Um, and in those days, county court meant the government because that, that's what the, um, we didn't have a, a board of commissioners. We were called the county court uh, in those days, and, and the uh, county court ran, ran the, all of the county, including the court system. Um, it's uh, sad that he didn't choose to rule on that because he felt like there wasn't a... Um, a definitive conflict that would allow, you know, if he made a ruling now, it would only be advisory and courts don't do advisory rulings. Um, It's, I kind of felt like there was a close enough conflict because there's money that can be spent now that will never get back over planning on whether or not to use that lot for city hall. And I thought that was enough of a conflict. Uh, But he, he's basically saying we got to have like a, contract the sale that can't be reversed um, before he'll actually make a ruling on that. So it's interesting that we don't know which deed actually applies. Even, you know, the, the deed that was recorded first and is the oldest deed and was accepted by the county court at that time at, from the Skinners, or the deed that got recorded years later that had been originally rejected by the county court and set aside and somebody found in a cubbyhole about 40 years later and went, oh, look, this deed never got a recording stamp on it. I'll think I'll record it. And he puts it into the land records and it ends up there. And of course, because it was the deed recorded second, as you go back looking for deeds and and books by year, it's the one that gets found first. (laughs) And everyone thinks that that was the right deed. And uh, Actually, the older deed without the restrictions is probably the correct deed, but everybody keeps referring to the, the restrictions that are on the deed. There's actually, I always ask them, which deed are you talking about? Because there's actually two deeds for that courthouse property. But it's kind of, I wish we could have gotten some uh, a court ruling as to which one applies because it would make it a lot easier for the city and the county to plan where they're going to build a courthouse, where we're going to build city hall, et cetera, downtown. And of course, there's always the eWeb property that comes into this discussion too. 
And then there, you know, um, there's a little bit of sticker shock on the public when the overall project of both the courthouse, city hall, phase one and two, and the uh, farmer's market, there are some uh, planning uh, level cost estimating that was done, mostly to compare what's the difference between where we build things and the timeline of how they get built. Um, so, um, we put out some numbers that are really very, very preliminary, and, it, and it's an all-in um, built-out courthouse um, with all functions in the courthouse, meaning the largest building possible, basically, because we didn't want to uh, do location planning based on a smaller than the, the largest physical size. Um, and it was mostly to get the differential and, you know, what's the cost difference on this lot versus that one and is there is there something that's going to make it delay the timing in it so that also requires us to look at what's the inflationary and escalation cost and delays uh, and the idea was to try and compare the different options and it was the differential between the options that was more important than it was how much did the individual buildings cost because um, even in the the courthouse um, function of it, you know, it included furnishing the building and furnishing the building is not something the county would pay for. That would be the state, the state court system would pay for the, the furnishing. So it, it greatly makes it look like the building was going to be way more than what it will actually cost the county. Um, and we haven't even done any value engineering or, or looking at, do we really have to have everybody in that building that we were were showing in the planning documents. Um, there's a good chance we may be able to keep some of those functions in the existing courthouse or county service building um, and connect the two buildings or or whatever to make the building smaller and less costly. So folks that read the story and saw this three hundred million dollar headline that the guard liked to throw out there, um, the rest of the story is is that's not a very real number. Um, so, that's what's going on with City Hall and the courthouse, but it, it's kind of uh, up to the city taking a look at where they want to put their, their City Hall. And I think next week, the Board of Commissioners uh, on next Tuesday is going to have a discussion about where we really want to have the courthouse. And, and I think we'll probably have the presiding judge there to talk about what works for him, because there's a couple options that really don't, you know, what would actually work best for the court, because Courthouses nowadays aren't what they were when we built that courthouse in the 50s. There's, you know, um, homeland security and, and other reasons. You want to have uh, basically defensible space around them, almost like you want to, when you're out there and you're, you're, you have a house out in the forest somewhere, you want to have defensible space as far as fire goes. Um, courthouses nowadays, they don't want you to be able to drive a vehicle right up to the building for obvious reasons. Um, and some of the siting uh, it, it, of other ways makes it a little bit easier to get up close to the building so they're not as easily to secure, um, which may mean, you know, changes in, in, in um, you know, architectural and structural to resist blast and things like that. Did you, you know, so there's other cost factors in that security factors um, that you wouldn't have to build into, you know, you weren't even thinking about 1950 about somebody driving a car bomb up to your courthouse um things like you know how do the judges get to and from their vehicles without getting um attacked by uh somebody that you know either doesn't agree with them or is trying to you know all sorts of things that happen with judges they you know they, they live under threat all the time prosecutors same thing live under threat death threats even even defense attorneys get, you know, threats from clients that felt like they weren't defended well, public defenders. So court security has changed in this world, um, and, and our old courthouse does not meet it in any way, shape, or form. But also where the new courthouse goes will make it easier to secure depending on how much space we can kind of develop around it um, to make it uh, a secure facility and how much ability we can get secure parking as part of that structure. So. It'll be an interesting discussion as we move forward for uh, Lane County to kind of decide on 
which one of the three options we looked at on Monday night with the city council uh, we want to move forward with. But uh, that'll be a good discussion next Tuesday. And uh, yeah, other things are coming up. We've got a pretty controversial uh, uh, rock quarry out in Oak Ridge that's going to be coming to the county commissioners next week also. So I'm looking forward to some, some, some interesting meetings coming up. And then we have to appoint a new state senator here coming up in another week, week two on the, I believe the 14th we're planning on doing that. So um, it's going to be a, a lively couple of weeks before Christmas here for, for the county commissioners. Uh, and uh, if there's something in there that you want to talk about, courthouses or, or uh, state senator replacements. There's been some names bandied about. Val Hoyle, the former state rep from House 14, is looking uh, at that seat. Um, you know, give us a call here at the Bo's Nose Show at 646-721-9887. And don't forget to press one so that Robin knows you want to get in on the queue because some people also call just to listen to the show because that's one of the ways you can get the Bose Nose show. If you're not where your computer is, you can just dial in at that 646-721-9887 and listen to us live on, on your cell phone or, or your, your telephone if you don't have access to a computer. So as we're streaming live here, but I will also remind folks that Within 24 hours, this show will be archived on the internet, and you can go back and listen to any of my previous shows on the internet uh, on KRBN uh, you know, Blog Talk Radio. If you just uh, Google KRBN Internet Radio, you'll find our, our website, or you can even look up our past episodes on iTunes uh, at you know KRBN. Uh, talk radio a couple ways you can you can Google us on iTunes or search for us on iTunes um, and you can go back um, I like folks to go back to my November ninth um, show where I actually interviewed Lynn Davenport uh, World War II veteran about his uh, experiences in World War II in Italy France and Germany um, worth listening to did it for pre-veterans day um, Today's Pearl Harbor Day, another good day to go back and listen to that show. Uh, first eight minutes, I was talking about the presidential election. You can fast forward through that if you want. Um, at about the eight minute mark, I introduced Lynn and the rest of the show is all an interview with a World War II veteran. So um, give that a listen sometime and you know, know that anytime you're around a computer, you can listen to the Bose Nose Show, even if it's not live. But we like to talk to people live if you get a chance at 646-721-9887. Or you can email us at talk at krbnradio.net. And uh, you can do that between shows, too, if you got suggestions for guests and all that. Last week, I had Ed McMahon from the Home Builders on, and we talked a little bit about the housing crisis in Oregon. And um, that even came up in today's work session for the Board of Commissioners as we're talking about strategic goals. And uh, two of our, our um, subtasks in our strategic plan this coming year are going to be about developing some uh, housing first um, housing units where we can get some people that are homeless kind of into some housing where they actually get intensive case management uh, and services as part of that housing to kind of deal with why are they homeless in the first place, which is usually um, quite often multiple things like combinations of, of underlying uh, severe mental health issues combined with addictions from self-treatment of the mental health issues, uh, and then also even sometimes um, physical um, uh, problems that come with having been on the street for so long, whether it's a, a, a diabetes issue or um, some other underlying uh, chronic uh, illness or um, even disability. So uh, it's, you know, hopeful we'll get to some of that housing on that end there. But the other part, other thing was to specifically look at where we can change our land use rules in Lane County to make it easier to build housing 
in general and affordable housing. And that's something that Ed and I talked about last week was how Oregon's land use laws and just um, permit regulations, system development charges, and everything else is, is actually driving the cost of housing up to where it drives, you know, when housing costs, you know, when single family houses are going up and only being built on the high end, it makes the lower end houses that don't have any inventory actually get more expensive. People don't move out of them, so there's less, less you know, um, change in that housing stock. So people aren't moving out of rentals. Rental occupancy is very high, so it's easy for landlords to increase rents because there's, you know, little or zero, you know, they're not competing for renters. They have more renters out there than their actual apartments. So those prices are going through the roof. And um, it all starts with we need bare ground to build subdivisions, to have lots available, to build houses on at a reasonable cost. And right now, just a lot, you know, finished lot in a subdivision costs more than $100,000 just for the dirt. And then you're going to pay 20000 in permits to build that house on that lot. So you're $120,000 in before you ever, you know, get into, uh, you know, everything else that goes into what really prices a home, which is like all the materials and labor and everything else to build the home. Um, it just, and that's why, you know, when builders are building homes, they're building in the $400,000, $500,000 range because, that's what they need to build to justify paying $100,000 for the dirt. We need to find a way where we can get dirt to cost less for those developers and builders. And one of the ways we can do that as a board is we need to look at how can we open up land for residential development in this county and make it easier. How can we make it easier for folks to do things like build a duplex instead of a, you know, that, that will be that lower cost housing for somebody? How can we make it easier for folks to build, um, you know, triplexes, fourplexes, small garden apartments, you know, whatever else it is we need to do um, where people can build that low-end housing that'll take some of the pressure off this market um, that's just gone to the roof because Oregon's taking it upon itself to make dirt expensive. And uh, so you want to hear more about that, you can go back in our archives and listen to last week's show. Or we can just go back to me talking about the governor's budget and, and I can get worked up again about the fact that the governor didn't try to control costs before she cut services. Um, or I can get into some of the other details of her budget and how, um, how little leadership and forethought it showed. And, and, I, and I'll just I'll pick on a couple areas here. The governor's budget, you know, people are, are trumpeting the fact that she actually put $200 million in her budget to do retrofits for seismic, um, you know, to make things more earthquake proof um, for $150 million was, or $60 million was to go to schools and $40 million was going to go to public buildings like uh, police stations and things like that. Well, you know, 200 million is not going to retrofit very many buildings. Anyone that's ever done seismic retrofits of buildings, it doesn't go very far um, and, and very deep. It'll get spent on 10 or 20 buildings, maybe, you know, out of the, the hundreds of public buildings, if not thousands in Oregon. Uh, there is a system that we're trying to get in place here in Oregon called shake alert which is an earthquake early warning system that system you know will be a net of sensors that will allow for unless the earthquake happens right underneath you if you're any distance at all away from the earthquake the signal from the the sensor net and the computer that that filters that and then sends out alerts back through the cell phone system that system travels basically close to the speed of, of, of light, you know, because a lot of it's fiber optics or it's electrical signals. It travels much faster than the actual shock wave through the Earth's crust. So um, it, you get the further away you are, the longer 
time you can get warning from the system. And in fact, uh, if we have the actual subduction zone earthquake and we have sensors on the coast, uh, we will be able to get warning in the valley here that could be you know, minutes of time to prepare for this category, you know, this, this, this um, you know, 9.0 possible earthquake that's going to happen on the subduction zone here in the valley and how much that's going to shake the valley uh, and, and, you know, minutes of warning. That system build out cost is 32 million. And the state has only promised to put 8 million a, uh, a year into that build out of that system. So it's going to take another it's going to take till about 2021 to become operational. Now, wouldn't it make a lot more sense maybe to take some of that 200 million for retrofitting buildings and build the alert system out in a single year? Because if that, you know, the, the number one cause of fatalities and serious injuries in an earthquake is falling objects and falling people, you know, where people fall over themselves. Um, and that, that even seconds of, of, of uh, warning by that shake alert system would give people the opportunity to duck, cover, and hold, as, as they like to tell you in these, these earthquake drills, where you, 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 you duck down and you get under something like a table or whatever, and you hold. You know, if you had 10 seconds of warning, how hard would it be for you to dive under your desk at work or whatever and hold there? And instead of having that light fixture that's over your, your office chair drop on your head and potentially critically injure you, you survived the, the shaking part portion of the earthquake and you're not an injury that we have to deal with after the earthquake overloading our medical system, which is going to be severely strained. How many lives would that alert system save compared to the one or two buildings they may not get to because they took 32 million of that 200 million and moved it over to that program? You know, how much, you know, how much forethought would it have taken for the governor's folks to kind of look at that and say, you know what, maybe it would make more sense if we actually built that shake alert system instead of just throwing some money at, at, at um, seismic retrofits. You know, because we're talking about alerting, you know, hundreds of thousands of people advance warning of that shaking versus maybe dealing with build, a couple buildings that might have a thousand people total in them. So I just, you know, one of those things, you know, as I look at the governor's budget and shake my head, another one is uh, there is a, a House bill that was passed back in 2013 called House Bill 3149. Um, and it was the Justice Reinvestment Program. And what it was is it set up a program where um, it basically said, we're going to give you counties that run our um, parole and probation and all of our diversion and reentry programs um, for the state, we're going to give you some more money to try and hold down our prison population because if we our current projections of prison prisoners is going to require us to open several new prisons over the next 10 to 20 years at a cost of about $600 million dollars just for the construction, let alone what it's going to cost us annually to operate. So we're going to take that and we're going to give you guys that over a couple bienniums to uh, try and divert these people. And it was supposed to be funded at about $60 million a biennium, which when you talk about an $18 billion budget, it's not a lot of money. Well, they never did fully fund the program. You know, last biennium, which was the first full biennium of the program, because it kind of got started halfway through the the, last, the previous biennium, it was supposed to get that 60 um, million. We only ended up getting about 33 million, um, and but it's shown really great 
progress in trying to keep the prison population down and doing some diversion work. Plus, it's actually helped the counties put in place some programs that are actually making our citizens safer because it's actually we're dealing with some underlying causes in recidivism. And in Lane County alone, we've actually dropped our recidivism rates by about 5%, um, which is an amazing thing when people aren't, you know, reoffending. That, that that's, that's a great thing because it saves everybody lots of money. Um, but all these great programs that funds like uh, these, you know, 416, which I have to go into a long explanation, but um, it, it funds things like the mental health court, veterans court, uh, sponsors that does some of the, the reentry work with, with folks coming out of prison and getting them, you know, stabilized and reentered so they don't reoffend. Um, our parole and probation doing some innovative work with, with uh, uh, cognitive cognitive behavioral therapy uh, where they actually kind of get people to recognize some of the the triggering behaviors and learn new ways of coping with various things uh, uh, that keep them from reoffending. Um, there's all sorts of great work we're doing in restorative justice and trying to keep people out of prison. The governor's budget took that program that was supposed to be, you know, that was um, supposed to be funded at about 60 million this year because they kept saying, okay, we're only going to fund. 33 billion this biennium, but we promise we'll go up to at least 53, maybe even 60 next biennium. Well, her budget dropped it back to 31 million. You know, and how short-sighted is that? If we, the counties, can't keep people out of prisons and start utilizing the prison system because they cut back on this justice reinvestment program, and they end up having to open a new prison at the cost of hundreds of millions. You know, it. it you know, for for the want of thirty million dollars, you know, out of an eighteen million dollar budget, where was the look at where you get the best bang for the buck in your budget? One thing she did do in her budget, you know, who got the actual increase of money in the whole budget? The K through twelve system in Oregon got given a nine percent increase over the last biennium. And their last biennium budget was the largest ever K-12 budget because it had a big increase from the previous one. They get a 9% increase because, oh, you know what? The PERS cost for the K-12 system was going to increase their cost by, hmm, oh, about 9%. Um, so they're being held harmless on PERS by the governor's budget. And uh, let's see, who was one of the largest donors to the Democrat caucus and the governor in the last election cycle? Um, let's see, that was the Oregon Education Association, i.e. the teachers unions for Oregon. And now you can connect the dots. The winner in the governor's budget was the OEA, not the citizens of Oregon. Like I said, I felt like this budget from the governor was basically, this is what you get for not passing Measure 97 and listening to all the, the public employee unions about, woe is me, we're not going to try and cut our costs, we're not going to look at where we would get the best bang for a buck with our spending and prioritize our spending that way, we're just going to punish you Oregonians by by you know, releasing these severely mentally ill people back into your communities by closing a state hospital. We're going to disinvest in systems that are going to divert people from prison. And, you know, the heck with you. And by the way, I'm going to make sure the OEA gets their money. You know, that's what I felt like this governor was saying, you know, was basically giving, you know, looking at the state of Oregon and say, didn't you get past measure 97? Well, to you guys, you know. Give you the, you know, kind of reminds me of uh, that 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 remake of uh, um, Miracle on 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 34th Street, uh, you know, where the the Santa Claus talks about getting the the old the old fist from uh, his, from his previous employer. Uh, I kind of feel like the governor gave us the old fist. Uh, so, no, I don't get fired up about this subject at all. I guess it's because I had to live with cutting budgets for the last six years and, and doing real budget cutting, and I really have trouble feeling sorry for state government that, 
that might have to control their cost by 7% to live within an, a record amount of revenue that they will be getting in the next biennium. So, you know, woe is me for, for not feeling sorry for our legislators and the governor for, for, for that. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to uh, live within a record amount of revenue and, and oh, woe is me. You know, it's like, oh my gosh, I wish that was what I had to do in Lane County. You know, I wish we could, we could have that kind of situation. So I, I just have to shake my head and, and wonder, you know, it, it makes me wonder how we re keep electing the same group of people that's wi that's willing to do that sort of thing. And, th and then, of course, then I got to go back to who got the money in the budget. And then I've realized now I, that's right. They got elected because of support of certain special interests and that's who the budget favored. So, oh, well. Rant, rant, rant. Okay, I'll try and take a deep breath, give you guys a chance to get in on the conversation because it is a free-for-all today. And I really want to talk about what you want to talk about instead of Jay's favorite rant for the week, which has got me wound up ever since the governor's budget came out last Wednesday. But you can call us at 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin know uh, you want to get in on the conversation or you can email us at talk at krvnradio.net. And uh, we can have a conversation that way too. And you can email us between uh, shows and you can also reach us on Facebook. Um, and, you know, just give us a shout. And we'll talk about what you want to talk about. So Robin, I know you uh, have a couple things on your mind because you always have a have an occasional rant or two to, to go after. Um, Me? Anything about the governor's budget that stood out for you or, or, or stuff that, that uh, over the last week you're, you're interested in talking about? Seeing this as a free-for-all, I'll make it a Robin free-for-all for a minute. <laughs> oh, maybe. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, that's the way I, I always figure that Oregon government, governorship and uh, the legislators here are always good for a laugh. Uh, it's a sad laugh, though. Yeah, because like with a head shaking sad laugh. It's yeah, you because know, it you know it, it, it it's comical, but the tra it's it's a it's a tragic comedy because the tragedy is there's so much they could be doing so much better. Well, that's true, and it makes you wonder what the heck are they thinking? You know, yeah. where where's their mindset at? You know, are are you what's your priorities? Are your priorities to make Oregon better, or to actually bankrupt it and make more businesses and people leave? Yeah, I mean, is there some plan to tear it all down and make it explode so you can rebuild it in the way you want to build it? You know, I I don't know. It just I. You know, what's the end game in, in, in continuing on with this game of, of um, we're going to threaten you with horrible budget cuts that we know no one's going to accept, you know, and then, and then going to a meeting of business leaders and saying, okay, you tell me how we're going to raise revenue. It's your responsibility now because you guys, you guys helped defeat Measure 97. So, and the question for me is, you've got record revenue. You tell me how you're going to live within it. Oh, it's funny that yeah. in 97 they threatened yeah that they threatened to increase taxes and cut services usual stuff uh but the ads for it mentions well the money's going to go for schools well they never really committed to where the money was going to go so that's a lie mm -hmm. and people are just uh, they're just getting tired of it because again all these little fees like uh was it portland just raised their road tax fee per household from 75 cents to $5, which may not sound like much, but when you take that on top of the other fees and taxes and everything else you have to pay per month, that adds up to a pretty penny. Yeah. And that's a, and that's a per month fee, not a, not a per year fee. Correct. So that's, that's, you know, that's going from $9 a year to $60 a year. Right. Yeah, you know, that that's a that's a pretty big jump on that fee. I, I you know, it, it amazes me when a government does that without going out to the people to get them to vote for it, you know, and getting them to agree that that's worth doing. You know, when they just implement a fee because they can do it without a vote. 
um, and, and it really a tax. And they think, well, let's let's raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars. Well, if you look at it, yeah, you can raise your gross to fifteen dollars, but you're also putting yourself in a higher tax bracket, and you may actually be taking home less. Yeah. Well, and then not to mention the fact that that when they did that minimum wage increase, now all the you know it cost it's going to cost us at Lane County, you know, mil, you know a million or more in additional cost for like we we hire a bunch of temp employees in the summer to maintain our parks and you know do roadside you know vegetation work and and whatever else out in our public works department. And almost all of those employees were minimum wage employees, and it was usually college kids on summer break. They like doing the work. They're outside in the summer, getting a tan, um, you know. <laughs> and, and they just drove that cost through. And in addition, every nonprofit that we contract for human services for that has, you know, low-wage people that now they got to differentiate between minimum wage and their low-wage people their cost to, you know, for trying to provide those services just went up. So they can't provide as much service for the same contract. You know, it, it's, you know, so all these services that are meant to serve the working poor become harder to provide because they raise the minimum wage. Exactly. And that's one of the reasons why it makes my blood boil, and I'll probably harp on this for the next two years. When you, you go this art thing where you go spend $236,000 for a thing that is supposed to be a flame, quote unquote, $8,000 for something that's a funnel in Springfield bus depot. And yeah, that doesn't seem like a lot of money, you know, looking at the state budget, but you know, how many people could that have employed for a year or how many potholes could that have fixed? Yeah, I agree. You just, you kind of have to wonder, you know, just, That's it. That gets back into what are you thinking? Yeah, what the heck are you thinking? And then back to the common people like like me, you know, where I'm work. Um, I mean, I make a little bit more in minimum wage, but I'm not making a lot of money, and it's a struggle. And then you know, the property taxes went up. Uh, Springfield's going to raise their water rate another five percent. Again, it doesn't sound like much, but again, water affects the, the runoff, which affects the sewer rates, which affects the, and next thing you know, you you got um, half to three quarters of your paycheck just going to be able to have a place to live. Yeah. And that gets down to, you know, that you know, earlier thing I mentioned about just trying to keep the cost of dirt cheap enough to actually build housing at a, at a affordable level. You know, if the dirt's real expensive, then the housing gets costly because you're also going to still have to pay taxes and, and monthly fees and water and sewer and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, we shake our heads about this state budget and all that stuff. You know, I, I did an interview uh, earlier this week on KPNW uh, uh, wake up call at 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. on Monday. And uh, the week before, they had had John Charles with Cascade Policy Institute on talk about the governor's budget, um, and he had some very similar observations to, to some of mine, not not exactly the same. But they ended the interview with him by asking him, "Is there one state program you can point to and say, or you know, state th- something the state does that you can say they do well? You know, that, that's something the state does well." And John Charles, you know, who who studies state government up and down as part of this this think tank, couldn't come up with one thing. Yeah. And you know, I get through my interview on Monday, and at the end of the interview, um, I wasn't really prepared for this, but because I'd heard that earlier interview, I knew what John said. Um, Rob Holloway asked me, so is there one thing you know that the county does well that you could point to? And I and my answer was. My trouble is is trying to think of just one. There's multiple things we do really well, and, you know, because I can talk about how we cut costs, but we're still providing. You know, one of the things I mentioned was our assessment and taxation department. We've cut down to the point where we've had to ask for continual waiver from the state to maintain the staffing level we do, so they don't 
take away some of the state uh, trans stamp uh, uh, transfer tax right. on us um, that we can still qualify for that. So we're a rock bottom staffing we've done there, yet they still year over year prepare an accurate set of tax rolls, get them out in time, get them collected, and distribute them to the 182 other taxing agencies that we collect the taxes for. You know, we're, you know, we don't just collect Lane County tax, we collect the city of Eugene's tax, we collect the Sayuslaw Valley Fire District's tax, we collect the Firm Ridge Library District's tax. You know, we we collect every government's tax within, you know, property tax within within um, Lane County. And that isn't just property taxes, that also includes uh, business property taxes. You know, so, you know, for me it was, how do you point to just one thing? Do I talk about the veteran services department that we have, where we are the number one county in the state for total dollars of veterans be benefits that are that are sent out annually to our citizens, yet we are only the fourth largest county in population. Right. Well, when I gotta... you think about that, Multnomah County has over twice the number of people in it, which you would imagine they have over twice the number of veterans, yet we have more veterans benefits coming to Lane County because our veteran services officers are spectacular. In helping our veterans, and you know, and if anyone's listening that's a veteran out there that's having trouble with the VA or getting their benefits or whatever, please contact the county veteran services folks. They are amazing. Joby Riley and his staff will get it done for you. They know how to get through the red tape and everything, and, and make sure you get the benefits you earn when you put your life on the line for this country. So yeah. You know, there's so many things like that because our county has taken it upon ourselves to look at how do we control cost? What is the what is the biggest bang for the buck? What are our priorities? Where can we eliminate waste? And 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 our employees are engaged in that. They understand the crisis we're in and they're working hard to try and provide those services. So I'm proud of what the county does, and it's hard for me to pick out one thing we do well because there's so many. If I start talking about it, I'm going to miss a program, and those people are going to kind of be angry I didn't mention them. And I'm sure if people will go back and listen to this program, because I only mentioned assessment, taxation, and veteran services, there's going to be 10 other programs I probably should have mentioned, and 40 others I probably should have mentioned, and maybe even 50 or 100. It's just like we do such good work in the county, it's hard for me to find just one. Think of that difference. And, and it gets down for me, the best government is the government closest to the people. And because we are so directly answerable. I want to jump in here real quick, James, speaking of veterans and what today is, and take a, a moment to thank everybody that has uh, volunteered uh, for our military, including the police and fire and, and other services, and for everything they do. I, want to, I just want to say thank you for your service. Yeah, and, and I'll echo that. Uh, thank you. Talking about um, Pearl Harbor Day on the program, and a little bit about um, World War II and all that. But you know, there are many, and and I won't say just volunteered because there are many of us that um, that served, many that served that were actually pressed into service through the draft, like my father-in-law um, didn't get a chance even to volunteer because he hadn't even turned legal age to volunteer when he got drafted. Uh, yeah, I really appreciate our, our folks that have served in the military and our first responders. You guys put yourself on the line. You're the ones that run in the, in, in the direction of where everybody's running away from, um, and we all appreciate that. And uh, I hope you uh, know that the community appreciates and supports you and particularly our folks in blue who have not been appreciated well over the last eight years of our uh, administration. Um, I hope they feel like that's changing and, and the tone in the country is changing about their service and risk. Um, so that's about it for the Bose Nose Show here. And we'll hopefully be talking to you next week. It's going to be a tight schedule for me. I'll let you know. Uh,
that day. If we get done on time, I'll be on the show. So hopefully we'll see you next week. I'll update you on Facebook. Thank you for listening. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.